0: Well, good evening. If you've got your Bible, we're going to be in Psalm 22. So Turn to the book of Psalms, Psalm 22. And while you're turning there, if I haven't met you, my name is Chase Jacobs. I'm the executive pastor here at the church. And it's my privilege to look at uh, this psalm together and and consider the cross of Christ. Before we turn to this psalm, I want you to think about 1,000 years It's hard for us to comprehend quite how long 1,000 years really is. Think about 1,000 years ago. How much was different? And we're not just talking about electricity and airplanes and cell phones, okay? 1,000 years ago, everyone still thought that the earth was the center of the universe. 1,000 years ago, Europeans had not yet discovered North America. A thousand years ago from today, the Aztec Empire had not even been founded yet. So I'm trying to get at is a thousand years is a really long time. And I want you to keep that in your minds tonight. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul writes this, Now I would remind you, brothers... ...of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures in accordance with the scriptures. what scriptures? Paul's obviously referring to the Hebrew text, the Old Testament scriptures. Paul is saying that everything about the gospel that we preach by which we are saved, everything about the work of Jesus Christ and his coming and his dying on the cross for our sins, for our forgiveness, on his being raised on the third day, all of that was predicted in the scriptures. It happened according to The scriptures. And so that's what we're going to be looking at in this two-part series this Easter weekend. All of these places that the Old Testament foretold, prophesied, and predicted the work of Christ in the gospel, His death and resurrection. The Old Testament has so much to say about this and it only confirms that this is true and that this was God's plan from eternity past for us today. So tonight we're going to look at Psalm 22 which along with Isaiah 53 is probably the clearest, most powerful place that the Old Testament prophesies, predicts the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. We're going to look at Psalm 22, and as I read this, I want you to remember that this psalm was written 1,000 years before Jesus was born and 1,000 years before Jesus died. Psalm 22. And not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth and from my mother's womb. You have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up. It's like a pot shirt and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me. From the horns of the wild oxen, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you offspring of Israel, for he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. He has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord. And he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow down all who go down to the dust. Even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn. That he has done it. Amen. Isn't that incredible? Could you hear all of the parallels And the things that we have been reading tonight from the gospel accounts, these eyewitness accounts of what happened to Jesus on the cross and all of these things were were just as Psalm 22 said that they would be a thousand years before. The Bible is a divine book. God wrote this book. The only way that that could happen would be if a God who is outside of time was writing it. And that's what we see. In Psalm 22, it was like God was was writing detailed stage instructions for the crucifixion of his son. It's incredible. But it's not only incredible because it fulfills prophecy. It's incredible for what it means for us. This psalm, like all the psalms in the Bible, it was written for the people of God to be used in the worship of God. Especially when worshiping God is hard. The psalm isn't just in the Bible for us to say, hey, cool, prophecy. But it's for us to know what God has done for us in Jesus. So as we move through this psalm, we're going to break it up into three parts. Despair, deliverance, and declaration that's how the psalm flows despair deliverance and declaration so let's look at this first section of verses 1 through 18 this is all despair You can see in the superscription, the little text before verse 1, which is part of the text. It says that this is a psalm, which means that this is a song. All the psalms were songs. They were set to music. This This is a song that King David wrote, and he wrote it in response to a very, very difficult time in his life. David wrote this psalm when he was despairing, and we don't know exactly what was going on it's actually written kind of vaguely which is a gift to us because then we can take up those words ourselves but the way that David describes it it's it's unbearable suffering 18 verses is a lot of lamenting and that's what this is but there is just so much going on It's some of the saddest verses in the whole Bible in verses 12 and 13 and in verses 16 through 18 King David talks about evil enemies encircling him surrounding him And as he's describing these enemies, he uses uh, metaphoric language describing ferocious animals. Strong bulls and roaring lions and dogs. And these are not man's best friend kind of dogs. These are scavenger dogs. These are dogs that are out for blood. That's how David describes these people who are surrounding him. They're trying to attack him. They're trying to take his life. Add to that in verses 6 through 8, David describes others as mocking him and despising him. In verse 6, he says he feels like a worm and not a man because he's so despised and rejected by other people. In verse 18, they're treating David like he's already dead. They're dividing up his stuff, they're casting lots for his garments. Verses 14 and 15 describe the deep psychological and physiological pain in what David's going through. Look at verse 14. David says, I am poured out like water. Have you ever felt like that? Like everything you had has just been spent. You've got nothing left. He says, All my bones are out of joint. We don't know if that's because he's actually been physically attacked by these enemies or if this is just the, the pain that your body feels when you have been in a long state of vigilance of anxiety it starts to make your whole body ache still in verse 14 he says my heart is like wax it's melted within my breast my strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to my jaws you lay me in the dust of death it's a hint back to Genesis chapter three, verse 19, when God says to Adam, you are dust, and to dust you shall return. David is saying he feels like he's going to die. But who is it that's laying him in the dust of death? Look again at verse 15. You lay me in the dust of death. Who's that you? God. This Psalm is a prayer. It's all addressed to God. And that's the hardest thing about what David is going through. All of this suffering, all of this bad stuff that's going on in his life, it makes him think that God has abandoned him. That's what verse 1 is saying, these famous, famous words. That's what David is saying. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? My God, I cry by day, but you don't answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Do you hear the despair? Do you hear the confusion? David's confused. He's confused because this is his God. He says it twice at the beginning. My God, my God, where are you? Verses 9 and 10, he says, you've been my God for my entire life. God, you took me from the womb. I have known that you have been with me every step of the way up until this point. Where'd you go? Not only is he David's God, not only has he been David's God for his whole life, but, but this is Israel's God. That's what he says in verses three and five. He says, God, all of Israel worships you. You are enthroned in our praises. You are our king, and we've trusted in you for generations. Our our ancestors cried out to you when they were slaves in Egypt, and God, you rescued them. You helped them. Time and time again, you have been the God of our people. You have rescued them, so why aren't you rescuing me? This is what David is praying. Verse 11, God, be not far from me. For trouble is near, and there's none to help. He says, help me, God. But God doesn't help. At least that's how it seems to David. So David shouts out this question, why? Have you ever asked that? Have you ever asked why, God, is this Happening to me? Well, one thing that we learn from this psalm, Psalm 22, is that it's okay to ask them. It's okay to go to God with your wise. It's okay to go to God to lament. King David was going through this, this suffering by himself, but then he wrote this psalm and he gave it to the choir director and he said, we're all going to need this. We all need these words because we are all going to go through this experience. And this psalm is in our Bibles because God already gave you the words to pray when it's happening. It's okay to lament to God. Lament means just to pour out all of your sadness, all of your mourning, all of your grief, to take it right to God. God is saying, do that. I want you to do that because when you do that, you draw near to God so counterintuitive, but, but coming to God with our laments, with our, with our suffering, with our sadness, and with our questions, that doesn't take us farther away from God, but, but it reaffirms what David said at the very beginning, you're my God, and it encourages us in that. And so God wants us to lament. He wants us to ask why, but you can't ask God why and then not listen to the answer, The Bible tells us why. The Bible gives us the answer to this question. The reason is sin. The Bible is very clear that all suffering in this world is ultimately the result of sin. Sin is is not being or not doing what God has commanded of us in His law. Sin is not obeying God's law. Sin is not worshiping God the way that he deserves to be worshiped. Sin is worshiping the created thing and not the creator. And sin is what is wrong with the world. Sin is why. This goes all the way back to our first parents in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3. Adam and Eve disobeyed God's commands. They were in perfect fellowship with God. They were near to God. And they sinned and they were cast out. They were separated from God. And that separation from God and that continuing sin has just been this outworking downward spiral of chaos that all of us participate in because all of us are in the same family. All of us have sinned just the way that they did and so all of us return to the dust. All of us dying. And that's why, if you're here and you're not a believer, if you're here and you're not a believer, thank you for being here. And I wonder if you have felt this, God being far from you. Well, if you haven't believed in Jesus Christ, then God is far from you because of your sin. Isaiah chapter 59, verse 2, listen to this. Sin, your sin, has made a separation between you and your God. Your iniquity has turned His face from you so that He does not see you. Your sin has separated you from God. And so if you say, it feels like God is really far from me, He is because of your sin. In fact, you stand under God's judgment. You will face God's wrath because of your sin. So you think you're suffering now. The wages of sin is death, the book of Romans says. Eternal death. So friend, if you're here, I have to say, whatever else you think is wrong with the world, you have a bigger problem. Sin is your biggest problem. And I've got really good news for you. Stay tuned. But even if you are a believer, even if you've already been reconciled back to God, You've been brought back into a right relationship with God through the forgiveness of your sins in Jesus Christ. You still feel the effects of sin in your life, don't you? Christian, this is why you suffer, because of sin. Sin out there in the world, other people that don't worship God rightly and so they try to hurt you, Sin out there that just runs through and continues to wreak havoc in this world. that makes this world broken so that bad things happen to us that remind us that this world is still groaning for its redemption. Sin out there, even, even in the form of our, our enemy, the devil. A lot of this language in this psalm, this animal language, sounds demonic when it's picked up later in the New Testament. Think of how Peter describes Satan As prowling around like what? A roaring lion. Seeking someone to devour. And so Christian, what I'm saying is even though you're right with God, there's still a lot of sin out there that will cause suffering on you. That's why it's sin. Sin out there. But there's also still sin in here, isn't there? Yes, we have been forgiven of our sins. They've been taken away. And yes, we are a new creation. But there are still the lingering effects of sin in our flesh. And that can cause suffering in this life. I'm not saying that if you're in here and you are suffering right now, it must be because you are sinning somehow. But it might be. We know that our sin still has consequences and you might be in here now feeling the weight of the consequences of your sin even as a believer. And even if not, fighting sin? Resisting sin? It feels a lot like Psalm 22 sometimes, doesn't it? Fighting temptation, that that daily struggle to say no, not going there. No, I'm not thinking that. No, I'm not going to be that anymore. That's a fight and sometimes it just makes you think God, where are you? Why won't you take this away? All of this, all of this just reminds us of what Drew said a moment ago, that we're still waiting. We're still waiting for the biggest problem to be finally taken away. We're still suffering because of sin in this world. And we have to get this right. We have to know that this is our biggest problem, because if we forget that, then when we're crying out to God for help, we're going to look for him to do something that, that's not going to solve the biggest problem. But when we know that all of this is because of sin, and we cry out to God for rescue, and then we consider the cross of Christ, we know that our biggest problem has been solved. Amen. This is our next point in the Psalm Deliverance, verses 19 to 21. This section begins with more crying out. In fact, this is the most emphatic language in the whole psalm. In verse 19, he says, But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. And then don't miss this part. Look at the last line of verse 21. You have Rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. What just happened? You have rescued me. Just like that, it seems like David has been delivered. We don't know what has happened. This is actually kind of confusing because it's so abrupt. But this is what it says. We know something happened. Halfway through verse 21, David was delivered because the rest of the psalm, it just totally shifts gears and then it's just praise and thanksgiving for the whole rest of this song. Something happened halfway through verse 21. David was delivered. Maybe this is like Genesis 24 and David is praying and before he even finishes talking, God has answered his prayer. And so he changes what he was going to write. He says, oh, you have rescued me. Thank you. Or maybe David wrote the laments portion of this psalm and then he stopped and he put it away and he waited in faith for God to act. And then when God did act, he picked up his pen again and he finished the song. Or maybe by the time he got to verse 21, all of that work of lamenting did what it was supposed to do. It encouraged him again. It gave him confidence again. This is my God. He has been my God since I was a youth. He is the God of our people. And so maybe by the time he gets to Psalm 21, that has just worked in his heart and he has confidence again that God will rescue him, that God has never forsaken him because if you are gods, you are never forsaken. He will never leave us or forsake us. I would love to know what happened in the composition of this psalm. We don't know. But what we do know is how we are delivered from our greatest problem. And that's through David's greater son, a thousand years later, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the son of David, and he's the son of God. He's fully God, and he's fully man, and he came to rescue us from our greatest enemy. The enemy that encircles us, the enemy that tries to bite at us, the enemy that tries to kill us from our enemy, sin. Jesus rescued us from our sin, but the way that he rescued us, it's so surprising because it was actually to enter into our sin, to experience our suffering more than anyone ever has or ever will. Jesus came to undergo the full experience of Psalm 22 on our behalf. To take all of the weight of sin onto himself so that he could, by dying, put sin to death once and for all. Psalm 22 is ultimately all about Jesus and his suffering on our behalf on the cross. It's all about Jesus. It's all about what he was going to do. David, I don't think, knew that when he was writing this psalm. But we know that Jesus did. How do we know? Because this is what he cries out when he is dying on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I don't think that that was the first time that Jesus ever prayed this psalm. I mean, we have to assume Jesus was a faithful Jew. This psalm was part of his hymnal. Jesus was taught this song in the congregation. And this on the cross was not the first time that Jesus suffered. Jesus' whole life was suffering. Isaiah 53, written 700 years before Jesus, says this, that he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. And no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. And we esteemed him not. We see this in the gospel accounts. The whole life of Jesus, he was acquainted with grief. Why? Because so are we. He didn't want to be far from us, but to come near to us meant to be a man of sorrows. And he did that for you. His whole life, he was despised, he was reviled, he was cursed. People were trying to kill Jesus his entire life, even when he was a baby. He was acquainted with grief. He suffered. The book of Hebrews says he was tempted in every way that we are, yet he was without sin. But I just wonder what situations Jesus was turning to Psalm 22. Did he sing Psalm 22 to himself when he was being tempted by the devil in the wilderness? Did he meditate on the words of Psalm 22 when he said, like in John 12, My soul's troubled, and what shall I pray? Father, save me from this hour? But no, for this purpose I came to this hour. Did he want the disciples to pray Psalm 22 with him when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane? Sweating drops of blood because he knew what was about to happen to him. We don't know. But what we do know is that by the time Jesus is hanging on the cross, Psalm 22 is in his bones. And so when it's time, he cries out. Because this psalm was for him. As much as it's for King David, as much as it's for all of us, it was for Jesus. When David wrote this, this psalm, much of the language in it was probably metaphoric. It was hyperbolic. You can't read through the books of Samuel and find a place where it seems like it was ever literally that bad for David. There's nowhere in the story where David was that close to dying. So It was a metaphor. He was, he was putting his griefs into poetic, hyperbolic language. But when Jesus picked up the language on the cross, it was very literal. And we saw this. He was actually encircled by enemies that wanted to kill him. They literally pierced his hands and his feet when they nailed him to the cross. They divided his garments and cast lots for his clothing. That one still floors me every time. gospel according to John says that Jesus thirsted to fulfill scripture. That's likely a reference to Psalm 22 when it talks about his mouth being dried up like a potsherd and his tongue sticking to his jaws. And while Jesus was hanging on the cross, people mocked him. They wagged their heads at him. They reviled him. In Matthew 27, what we read before, it says the chief priests and the scribes, all the religious leaders of the day, they said, he's the king of Israel? Let him come down from the cross and we'll believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. This is incredible. Because I don't know if they realize it, but they're quoting Psalm 22, verse 8 to him. They're saying Psalm 22, verse 8 to him. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him. For he delights in him. It's so ironic. I can't even understand how they would do that. Because they know that Psalm 22 actually is about the Lord's anointed. And it's so ironic because Jesus did trust in the Lord. And the Father did delight in him. And Jesus could have come down, but he didn't. God didn't deliver Jesus from his enemies. Not because he didn't love Jesus, but because he loves you too. So God didn't rescue Jesus. God did abandon Jesus. That's why he cries out in fulfillment of this psalm, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When Jesus says that, it's actually true. When King David said that he felt forsaken, it was only a feeling. When we feel like, God is far from us. If we are believers in Jesus Christ, that's not true because God will never leave us or forsake us. That's never actually true, but it was of Jesus. Jesus actually was truly forsaken, truly abandoned. The Father turned his face away. I mean, I don't even know how this works. He who had enjoyed perfect fellowship with the Father from all of eternity was for the first and only time here on the cross forsaken by God, abandoned by God, far from God. Why did God forsake Jesus? Why did this happen? It's the same answer. Sin. But not Jesus' sin. Jesus was without sin. Sin. Jesus was forsaken for your sin. That's why Jesus came. Isaiah 53 again, surely he has borne our griefs, our griefs, and our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This was the plan that the Father and the Son and the Spirit had worked up before the foundation of the world, that they foretold again and again in the Old Testament that the Son of God would come and deliver his people from their sins by taking their sins onto himself in suffering all of the punishment that we deserved as a substitute in our place. And Psalm 22 gives us just a little glimpse of what that suffering was really like. True forsakenness, true abandonment, all the wrath of God, all the torment of hell, all the terrible consequences that we deserve because of our sin, our sin that broke the world. Our sin that hung Jesus on the cross. Do you get that? We're the wild animals in the psalm. We're the ones shouting, crucify him. It's our sin that put him there. Jesus experienced all of it. He was forsaken so that you could be forgiven. He was abandoned so that you would never be. Jesus died on the cross, the death that you deserved. If you have received him, if you have believed him, then all of your sins were on him on the cross, and he died. If you haven't believed in Jesus, if you haven't accepted this offer of him being forsaken for your forgiveness, then when you die, and you will die, then you will know what it feels like to be forsaken by God. But Christ did it for you. He offers it to you to take your place to suffer all of the punishment to die. Like the psalm says, God laid Jesus in the dust of death. That's what we especially think about on Good Friday, that Jesus died for us in our place, but he died so that you would never die. Yet though you die, still you will live by faith in Jesus. Because God also delivered Jesus in fulfillment of Psalm 22. God didn't save Jesus from his enemies there on the cross. They laid him in the dust of death. But then it was there three days later that God heard his cries and delivered him. Rescued him from the pit of death. Three days later, Jesus raised from the dead. And church, this is our deliverance. Because if we have believed in Jesus, then we are raised with him. And we know that our greatest enemy, sin, stayed there in the tomb. It didn't come out with Jesus. It doesn't come out with you. If you are a new creation, your sin is paid for. It is taken away. And that's a reason for praise. That's how the psalm ends, with a declaration of praise. Verses 22 to 31. You know, and it's kind of a shame that we're so familiar with the first half of this psalm because there's so much good here in this last part that I fear we miss out on because this psalm is really very unusual. It's lament for 21 and a half verses and then the rest of it is thanksgiving. It's like two psalms sandwiched together. And this back part, is, it's so good because it's all praise. It's still a prayer. We see that in verse 22. This is still directed to God. But, but now David talks about a different cry that he's going to make. He's not, no longer crying out to God for deliverance because God has delivered him. So now he's going to cry out to the congregation, to the people of God. Verse 23, you who fear the Lord praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you offspring of Israel, for he hasn't despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. He hasn't hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. That's true of you. If you've believed in Jesus, your sin no longer separates you. He doesn't turn his face from you. He he sees you. He hears you. He has rescued you. And David sees this as an imperative to declare that to other people. To not keep that deliverance to himself, but to tell everyone about it. To encourage the whole congregation that they be a community that declares the salvation and the glory of God. That we are a people that says, Hallelujah! What a Savior! And it's not just directed to those who are already believers. Verses 27 and 28 says this really needs to go to the ends of the earth. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations shall worship before you for kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. Now most of you have been with us in this study through the book of Genesis that we've been doing on Sunday mornings. If you have, then little buzzers should be going off in your brain right now. This is Genesis 12 stuff. The nations, the families of the earth, they will praise him too because he's their king. He's their deliverer. Verse 29, David says that this deliverance is for the rich as well as for the poor. It's for the slave and the free, for the male and the female. Verse 30 says, Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. Okay, so this is telling the next generation, telling our children about this deliverance. Still in verse 30, it says, They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. A lot of scholars think that that's one more connection to the cross he has done it sounds very much like it is finished and it is and that's what we declare this proclamation goes out to the ends of the earth and to the next generation to anyone and everyone and doesn't that sound just like the mission of the church the great commission that we go out and declare God's praise. Praise for what? He's saved us. He has saved us from our sins. We are not forsaken. We are forgiven because Jesus died and was raised. Verses 25 and 26 are, are really cool in this psalm. So we'll look at these and I'll end with this. It says in verse 25... From you, so he's still talking to God, from you comes my praise in the great congregation. God is the reason that he's praising. What God has done. He says then, my vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. What David's referring to here very likely is offering what's called a peace offering. And what this looked like was described in in detail in Leviticus chapter 7. But this was a very special offering that someone, someone would offer as an act of praise, as a response to something that God had done. And what they would do is they would go into the temple court at the altar and they would offer an animal, a big animal, like an ox. And while it was cooking on the altar... You would stand next to your sacrifice and you would tell everyone why you offered this Thanksgiving offering. You would declare to the whole congregation the trouble that you were in, the prayer that you prayed, and the way God heard you and answered. And then when the meat was done cooking, you invited everybody there present to eat with you. This sacrifice. This was the only sacrifice that they ate in the temple, and the rule was you had to eat the whole thing in a day. And so, what we see from this is that God has woven barbecues into the worship rhythm of His people. Amen? (laughs) That we should throw parties. We should be glad. Why? Because our hearts will live forever. We will live forever because He has risen. And we should celebrate this. We should talk about this. We should, not be, we should not keep our lips silent about this. We should be glad in this. So I know that you all probably have big Easter plans for this Sunday. Don't let them only be about eggs and chocolate bunnies. It's about our deliverance. This is about what God has done. He has done it. And so declare it. Declare it to your kids that are there with you. Declare it to the neighbors that you have invited to join you. Declare it, if God allows, to the ends of the earth that you were dead in your trespasses and sins and you cried out to God and he rescued you. And so no matter what you're going through right now, no matter how far away God might feel, he isn't. Because Christ was forsaken so that you would be forgiven. Let's pray. God, thank you for this amazing love. What a savior that we have, that he would come to us, the ones who have sinned against him, come to us to be a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, to die and suffer our punishment, so that we could have life God we thank you for this and we pray that you would you would stir up in us a delight thanksgiving in this God that we would praise you that we would declare this to everyone who will listen that you have rescued us we thank you for that rescue in Jesus Christ amen